Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Torah passage, Vayechi, which means he lived, one section there. And if you want to see the studies we've done on this particular passage and parallel passages before, you could see them all at halal.info slash p12. The section that we're going to be taking a look at today is a messianic prophecy that is in chapter 49 of Genesis, Genesis 49, verse 10. Now, one of the things you might have seen, depending on what translation you have, you'll see a few different renderings of a key passage of this Messianic prophecy. Either it will say, until Shiloh or Shiloh, until Shiloh comes, or it'll say, until he comes to Shiloh, or it'll say, until he comes to whom it belongs, or it might even say, until the uh, tribute comes to him. So, a lot of different renderings for this particular passage. So, we're going to be taking a look at, first of all, why this is so important, this particular Messianic passage, but then also why there is such a difference, because this is one of those uh, theological crowbars that skeptics of, of the Messiah, Yeshua, used to say well this is uh the apostles were playing playing fast and loose with their interpretations and even translations of scripture to make this kind of shoehorn into the idea of who the messiah is so we see in this particular passage um it is a part of a chunk of the blessing that's given to yehuda and this particular section of this blessing says, The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Now, we just kind of take a look back, and now we see this passage. Well, why does this matter? And I said, well, is it one translation is just as good as any other? And if it is uh, something that is maybe less spectacular, maybe that doesn't matter. One of the things that we can see in calling cards of the Messiah on this is who the Messiah is from this particular prophecy, and it fits together with other prophecies of who the Messiah is and what the Messiah was going to do, is this prophecy tells us that the Messiah is going to be from the tribe of Yehuda, and that this one is going to be a ruler or a king. And you'll see in some renditions of this, even a uh, scribe or a teacher of Israel. And also another key aspect is that he will gather the peoples to his rule and to his dominion. 
And we'll see that this fits with what we've seen in a previous, um, a previous messianic prophecy back in Genesis chapter 2, where you have the Abrahamic covenant, which is the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. And it's the punchline of it is in verse 3, where it says, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is something that is going to come through Avraham into all of the world and bless the entire world through this, through his lineage. Now we've seen as we've gone through the book of Bereshit and how it begins at the start in Genesis 3.15, you've got this promise that there would be a seed that would come from the woman and the seed would crush the head of the serpent. But the serpent was going to bruise his heel. And it, a very interesting uh, play on words that you have in that particular passage is that heel is a form of the word from which we get Yaakov from or Jacob. So very interesting that another way you could read that is um, in extended sense is that I will bruise your Jacob or bruise your Israel in the process. So we have this promise that's coming down that there would be one, a seed from the woman, an offspring of Eve who was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Remember who the serpent is. The serpent was the one who deceived that first couple. And the Apostle Paul reflects on it and says, Adam sinned, Eve was deceived, and that deceiver was the serpent. So Adam made a conscious choice. He chose to do that. Eve was deceived on that. that and what were they deceived about? Two trees, remember. One is the tree of life. Basically, listen to Elohim. Listen to the creator. He is the one who gave you life. Listen to him. He is the source of knowledge. Or you can go to the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Go to that one. And that is where you will get as it describes in there and how Chava was looking at the fruit of it and saw that it was good to do what? To make one wise. So she went for that. She was deceived in that that was going to be the path for it, the path to knowledge of good and bad. So uh, I'm sorry, Christine, go, no, go ahead, please. No problem. I apologize. I'm in interjecting. So I've always thought of it as authority, mm. right? Um, the authority is the reish, the head, and the authority of the serpent is in his heel. Mm. Or more like the nefesh, that we're closer to the ground mm. and more of the natural man uh, driven by our beastly nature. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, because one, one of the things that is often thought in the curse the curse that's given to the serpent is that on your on your belly you will crawl so which may get, which should suggest the question to you what was the snake doing before and 
that is where you get the possibility and what was the serpent connected with connected with the kingdom of the adversary who's the adversary described as one of the covering the covering angels but there's also another group of angels called the seraphim which are what fiery angels or serpents fiery serpents is another way to describe them i mean obviously we have no idea what they look like that's just how they're described to us so a very interesting picture that we have that i mean you can get go off on the descriptions of it needless to say that this power said hey go some other direction other than to the creator of heaven and earth for your wisdom of and your knowledge of what good and bad are. Yes, uh, Larry, go ahead, please. You know, uh, uh, I was thinking about Cricket was saying, and, and, and the, uh, we, give, we give Eve some slack because she, she didn't hear, maybe didn't hear the directive that was given to Adam. And she only knew that we, that they, we had this person who was supposed to, or this being who was supposed to be our teacher and leader. <clears throat> and he, and, she, so she got fooled. But Adam could have reversed all of that. that that's, I think, the main point. He could yeah. have said, sorry, Lord, my wife did this, and she didn't understand. Could you forgive her? And he would have said, yeah, because that's in the Torah. Yeah. Well, he also, you see his response to this. Yeah, she did it. This played, woman who you, you gave me. You gave me. Yeah, your So fault. threw her under the bus. <laughs> So that is not the, um, the actions of someone who's taking responsibility for it. So thus, thus when you see the, the apostle does a very correct ass um, assessment of the situation. Adam sinned. He purposely missed the mark, but she was deceived. So in which case, he went further off the rails. But needless to say, on both of these cases, there was the promise that was given to them that through her would come one that would crush this one who led them all off the rails. And by extension, not just crush the head of the serpent, but also bring the family back together again to reunite humanity and heaven. Because that's an extension of it. Because Otherwise, you would have the parable that y Yeshua told. Okay, you throw the evil, the unclean spirits out of the house. That would be just crushing the head of the snake. And then you just leave the situation like that. Good luck with that. No, that's not what the promise is, that this would take that further and reconnect then heaven and earth again so in that promise you're saying you're not only going to deal with the one who has separated humanity and um humanity in heaven but also reconnect humanity in heaven yes so then you see that come down through and we saw that with the flood that through noah's son shem would be the one that this would come down through so then we go from chava 
to Shem and then down to Avraham. He was called out. He was going to be the one through whom this blessing would come. So now we get it down to here. And we mentioned this earlier when we were going through the Abrahamic blessing that there was this winnowing process that was going through all the peoples of the earth that this was calming down and now it's coming down through the tribe of Yehuda that this tribe of Yehuda was where this promise was going to come down through and that that would be the vessel through whom all the nations would be blessed amen indeed so one of the things that you can say is that this text of Genesis 49.10 has been seen as messianic for an extremely long period of time, going back into, at the very least, the first few centuries B.C. And some examples of that is in from the Dead Sea Scrolls, from the Targumim, and Targumim are Aramaic translations, or you might also say translation slash midrash, a uh, <laughs> paraphrase translation, and and we'll see some examples of of um, what what I mean by a paraphrase translation of it, and those date to the second and third centuries A.D. So you got the Dead Sea Scrolls first few centuries B.C., you get the Targumim, first few centuries A.D., and then you've got some Talmudic passages which stretch anywhere in a period from like A.D. 400 through 1000 as to where they get codified to a more specific degree. And then you also, beyond that, have some medieval uh, commentators such as Rashi, uh, Kimchi, and Nachmanides, and a Barbanel also um, reflected upon this as being the translation of it. Now, when you look at the others, like Ibn Ezra and such, they will say, no, that is not exactly who this is talking about. This is talking about the place Shiloh, or we're talking about this being a leader from Babylon, or being some other power beyond that. So, you begin seeing the medieval period and going into the modern period a reinterpretation of this particular passage to say no this is not a messianic prophecy um to a specific person but messianic to a more general sense of a deliverer so let's take a look at some of these renderings we have of it we already saw the New American Standard Version. Now, you might have noticed as we were going through that, that this, what we read earlier, was New American Standard 1995 edition. But what I read earlier was the New American Standard 2000 edition, and they've already changed it to a version that we've seen that we're going to be coming up here shortly. This is the King James Version and New King James Version rendering of... Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and to him shall be the gathering of the people be. And the new King James Version, very similar. So not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So you're seeing also a 
variation on how that term is translated as gathering or obedience to the people. Uh, yes, Larry, you have a comment or a question there. Shiloh, well, that's one of the things we're going to take a look at today as to how did they get this and why do we have different renderings, so many different renderings of this particular phrase? Uh, yes, uh, Christine, we have a comment or a question over here. So I apologize if I missed it. So how does the Hebrew text read? We're going to get to that, yes. So we're, we're just going through this to, to see how this has been translated and down into different languages. And we're going to then see it even further on. This is the New English translation of the Septuagint, which is reflecting a bit of a departure here. A ruler shall not be wanting from Yehudas or a leader from his thighs until the things stored up for him come, and he is the expectation of the nations. So you see that Septuagint is uh, also like the Dead Sea Scrolls, first few centuries BC. So this is before the, the time of Yeshua's ministry and the Gospels. This is where the Septuagint dates from which is it's the greek translation of the hebrew scriptures so it also is um it's somewhere between sometimes <laughs> it's less of a paraphrase than the uh targums are but more of a dynamic translation mean meaning thought for thought so, for example, the New International Version is a dynamic translation, means it is a thought for thought. The translator reads the passage in the original language, then says, well, how would we say the same thing in our language, rather than what you would say more of a literal translation, which is like the King James Version, New American Standard. Those tend to be more of a literal version, which you can they sometimes get clunky because... Obviously, word order is not the same in English as it is in Hebrew or Aramaic or even Greek. So sometimes the word order and the way that they're rendered can get a bit clunky because of the difference of the languages. And things that are just not in, in the original language that we have in English, such, such as um, a lot of articles like the, a, and some of those are just understood in Hebrew. So you see a, a difference here in the Septuagint of this translation. So until things stored up for him come, which is very similar to that phrase that we see later on with until it comes to whom it belongs is how you get another translation of that uh, from the Hebrew version. And New International Version has just that until he to whom it belongs shall come. But see, it has a blend of this drawing more from the Septuagint than from the Hebrew scriptures on this particular passage, uh, the New, New International Version. So continuing on even further, the ESV, or the English Standard Version, which is a more modern version that's getting to be pretty popular these days, um, it is generally a um, literal translation, meaning that you'll notice if you were to put the New American Standard and the ESV side by side, <laughs> they'll almost read almost identical a lot of the time. Uh, yes, uh, Tammy, we have a comment or a question? Uh, 
But if I recall correctly, the ESV is a slightly simpler translation. Yes. They try to reduce the number of you know, 50 cent words yes. to make it a little bit more easy English. Indeed. So propitiation is probably one of those that got on the editing floor. I, I know, propitiation is your great 50 cent word. So we see with the ESV that says, until tribute comes to him. And that's a very interesting one because that's one that you'll see in later. Um, later Talmudic and um, some of the uh, rabbi commentators like Rashi, etc., will use that tribute as being the translation of it. So, and finishing things out with the JPS translation of uh, Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, so that tribute shall come to him and the homage of peoples be his. So there is that idea of rendering this instead of to whom it belongs, tribute, which you could say is a way that you could say, take that whole thing of to whom it belongs and just say, we're going to render this as tribute and homage of the people. So you get the peoples are giving, bowing down, giving respect to this one. Okay, so with all of that said, oh, now we get into one of the Targums, one of the Targumim, and there are several Targums that you'll come across. One is Onkelos, one is uh, Jonathan, and Pseudo-Jonathan, are ones that you'll come across are there are several of them that sprung up in those first few centuries AD. Onkelos is you could say the most common one. There's more copies of it, etc. So and you'll notice as we go on here with Genesis 49 verses 10 through 12 why I referred to this as a paraphrase translation. And this is again rendered in Aramaic. So it's a cognate sister language to hebrew uh, the ruler shall not depart from the house of judah nor the scribe or teacher from his children's children forevermore until the messiah comes whose is the kingdom and him shall the nations obey he shall lead israel about his city the people will build his temple the righteous shall be round about him, and they that carry out the Torah shall be engaged in study with him. Let his raiment be of fine purple, and his garments all woolen, crimson, and multicolored. His mountains shall be red with his vineyards, and his vats shall overflow with wine. His valleys shall be white with grain and with flocks of sheep. So there you go. That is a... Very loose <laughs> translation, more of a paraphrase with a lot of messianic expectation injected into this. So you might have noticed a lot of flavorings here from the prophets when they talk about the sheep and the vineyards and all that stuff. So what they've taken is you've imported some of what you see later on in the prophets and kind of merge them in here and saying, oh, this is about the rebuilding of the temple. So thus you can see the time period involved being this is this is the first or the second or third century AD so after the temple has been destroyed in Jerusalem for the second time so the second temple has been destroyed by this time so they've just injected the messianic expectation of a rebuilt temple right into this so 
the 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 targums were uh, this was a lectionary of the many of the synagogues for common use so this was you could say a they were treated as like a pastoral approach to reading the scriptures so you were getting a reading plus a sermon at the same time yes uh, go 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 ahead christine that's what i was wondering if you'd expound upon because they were basically little sermonettes yes they were so yeah there's a <laughs> there's one that comes out of the the uh, tradition that that we come from um and uh, it is i i warn people about this i said this is a commentary. Um, it's a blend of, of scriptures and a commentary. So unless you know what their scriptures originally said, it'll be hard for you to back out the commentary from it. So just be careful when you're reading this and not like memorize this version of it. So uh, yes, uh, Alex, uh, go ahead, please. Kind of like the Catholic Church, you know, except they didn't actually write it down. It was a concept that people just went by. You don't need the Bible. We've already interpreted mm. this. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Mm. Eve caused Adam's downfall. Mm. We understood on this? Yes. So... <laughs> They've been running with that one for a long time. You don't need to read any more. Yes, there's lots of traditions that have done very similar things. And where you always have to be careful about your sectarian commentaries. Uh, yes, uh, Deborah, go ahead, please. So is the Jew, the complete Jewish, what is a good, what is good to read when you're, you, you don't have the, the Hebrew knowledge? What oh. would be the best? I mean, is it King well, James plus? Uh, King James, like I mentioned, is, they, is a literal translation. So, um, because I mean, what about it's, the it's and but the but the challenge is, is that it's clunky because the yeah, the, the English is not like we speak no, today. No, not like that. What would and be so best? it is. Um, that's one of the things why I typically use New American Standard version of it because it is more literal than not. But you still also have to keep that in the back of my mind, back of your mind, that there will be changes that have happened and i just mentioned one that happened between the 1995 version and the 2000 version of it so you always have to keep those things in mind of translation changes that can come along and biases of the translators and one one of the particular that comes in is in the book of hebrews that you always have to keep in mind and Thankfully, the New American Standard in a lot of those places will italicize the their helper phrases or words that they put in there. So, and one of those is the discussion of first or first covenant being abolished. So that is one of those things where New American Standard makes a value judgment in their approach to translating the letter to the Hebrews. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But just backing things out here to take a look at this particular passage from Targum Onkelos is that this is a very early, and this is also a post-Gospels um, rendition saying this particular passage in Genesis 49.10 uh, clearly refers to Messiah. I mean, they make no bones about it. They're, it's just like they just wrote it in there and rewrote it <laughs> to bring in the messianic expectations from later prophets into this particular passage here. So moving on further here, 
And this is Dead Sea Scrolls. So this is um, first th three centuries um, BC is where these are collected from. This is uh, in particular from uh, the scroll 4Q252 column 5. So if you're looking to find it and you can look them up and see the, the image of it and then see the various translations that have been done of it. Because as you'll see as we go through this, it is a patchwork. As if you've ever seen some of the scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, other than the scroll of Isaiah, which is nearly entirely intact, a lot of them are just fragments, and it is a giant jigsaw puzzle to figure out what it is that the original was. So over time, since they were discovered starting in the late 1940s, um, it's been a giant uh, puzzle. Various translators have come in to try to, to piece them together to say, and new technology has come in where some fragments, they just like, there's nothing on it. And then they've used other technology to be able to see what was uh, already the pigment that was on those particular pieces of, of uh, papyrus or parchment. So this particular rendition of Genesis 49 verses 10 through 12 uh, from the Dead Sea Scrolls says, A ruler shall not be removed from the tribe of Judah, while Israel has dominion, there will not lack someone who sits on the throne of David, for the staff is the covenant of royalty. The thousands of Israel are the feet, until the righteous Messiah comes, the branch of David. For to him and to his descendants has been given the covenant of royalty over his people for all everlasting generations, which he has observed. The Torah with the men of the the Yahad, uh, for it is the assembly of the men of he gives. So there's a lot of a, a lot of gaps in between there where they've put these things together. But one thing you should note is that you're seeing that with a lot of those Dead Sea Scrolls, there are some sections that are like a targum that they have commentary in them. In the midst of them but since we have the septuagint which is greek translation which is very early pre-gospels you can cross check a lot of these things along with the masoretic text which is the main hebrew text which that dates to like 800 a.d and to like 1200 a.d you can take those the septuagint and the masoretic text together and the dead sea scrolls for the ones that are for the scrolls that you have that are intact, and then line them up side by side and see, well, what happened in the process? In this particular one, there has been commentary that has been added into that particular scroll that is not in the Septuagint or in the later Masoretic text. Because in the Masoretic text and the Septuagint, there's very little difference in this particular passage. But this section for the DC scrolls, there's stuff in there that is different but bc says rendering of this as the righteous messiah i mean they make no bones about it shiloh means the righteous messiah no doubt about it so if you're saying that oh this is an invention of christian times no this is pre-christian era is where this particular fragment comes from and rounding out here 
um, you'll see in the Talmud both ones that will say this passage is related to the Messiah and ones that say it doesn't. So it's one of those things with Talmudic study. It is a collection of all ideas. So, and a lot of the time there is no, well, he says this, he says this, but what you should get out of this is this. No, <laughs> most of the time, not. You just get, this says this, this says this. Okay, we're moving on to the next topic. And you're like, uh, what am I supposed to decide from this? Well, that's why people argue over those uh, Talmudic studies. But this is a passage here from the Tractate Sanhedrin, uh, Folio 98b says, oh, I'll go back to it. Uh, Rav said, the world was created only on David's account. Well, Shemuel said, on Moses' account. And Rabbi Yochanan said, for the sake of the Messiah. What is his name? What is the Messiah's name? Well, the school of Rabbi Shila said, his name is Shiloh, for it is written until Shiloh come, until Shiloh come. So, Thus, you're saying, now this collection is now a D collection of opinions and thoughts. Now, as you read on and, and tractate Sanhedrin right after this, the next guy contradicts it and said, no, it means something else. So, yes, uh, Alex, uh, go ahead, please. Um, a lot of that would have to do with where they're coming from as a group. I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls And, and where they're were, coming from were, geographically, too. Geographically and even mindset, they were, they were Essenes or... Definitely not going with the Greeks. And if you were writing in Greek, you were writing for that new world you thought you were kind of heading into with the, with your Hebrew religion. So yeah, that would not be the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, but you see that there is a there is congruence between the Septuagint and the Masoretic text. So that's why you see with the modern translations that are like after 1948 or 47 when they started discovering these Dead Sea Scrolls that you can see that they're bringing in other uh, reflections of what these ancient texts are. Because previous to that, it, like I was saying, the Masoretic text is 800 to 1200 AD. So other than the Septuagint, the only earlier ones you had were the Vulgate, which was the Latin version of it. So thus, you would, you would cross-check the two of those, and that's where uh, they started to see, well, especially in some of the Messianic prophecies, like related to, um, related to the Messiah in... Um, the Isaiah passages and also in Zechariah, especially the one where you know, they will look upon the one whom he was pierced. And the Masoretic text, well, has it rendered and it will look upon one like a lion. But when, you, when they finally came across the fragment in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they could say, no, it was a Yod instead of a, a Vav. So, no, it was rendered correctly. They will look upon the one he was pierced, not look like, like, like a lion. So that's, that's why with these things that the, it's helpful that you have so many of these different manuscripts available. You've got the Septuagint. You've got, yes, the Vulgate is a translation of something, but it is rendering something in a very earlier period than the Masoretic text. Now, 
The Mesoamerican text has another interesting little feature, which we'll be getting to here shortly, which can make things challenging. And that is the concept of the kare or ketev. Now, the, <laughs> the part of this phrase until Shiloh comes, or that we're, <laughs> that what time is Shiloh coming? Yes. Yes. So uh, the thing of, well, when is Shiloh coming? So that this third clause in this passage that we're looking at in uh, Genesis 49, verse 10, where we have this phrase in Hebrew. Yes, going looking at the Hebrew on this as well. In the Masoretic text, there is what they call the Kere Ketev. Now, the, the Ketev, like Katav, means to cut or to write. So there is the Kativ version of it, which is how it is written in the, in the main section of the scroll. But they have the Kerev version, which is in the margin, which says, you read this as this, but for sake of congregational misunderstandings, you should read it as this. So they're in, they're in the margin notes. So that's one of the things that they're, they didn't just do like a targum where they just changed it in the text and you had no idea. The, Mes the Mesorites were actually quite helpful in detailing very, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes too much detail, but putting down in detail the things that they were uh, making note of. And if they were putting something into a margin note, they made note of it. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, Deborah, go ahead, please. When you, so wouldn't you say that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth? I mean, for me, I was, um, had a difficult time, and I began when I had eSword and um, got the free Bible software, and then I could begin to put things together Mm. Looking for all the passages mm. and then looking, you know, all the passages, what it said before and after. And I felt like, you know, that the Holy Spirit would be leading me into the concept of how should I interpret this? Because it's all going to be about how do we interpret that and how mm. is we, how are we going to walk that out? Yes. This particular commandment, like how is it going to affect me? Well, and true. Right? But how one of the, one of the other things that is helpful, both in, in, in my profession and also in uh, doing Bible study, is a passage from Proverbs which says, you know, one man's uh, statement seems right until another man answers him. So that's why it's good to say, okay, well, I can get this idea out of it, and I think I have this idea, but let's just see what other people have said about it and see when you when you test them, you don't have to just swallow everything that anybody else says on it, but you compare it. I mean, I, I do that in my job every day, is that I'm hearing something from somebody, somebody's telling me something, and I go to somebody else who has knowledge on that particular subject and ask him about it. And if I'm hearing the same story from both of them or somewhat similar, then I'll know, okay, I'm on the right path. But if I'm hearing something totally different from the person I'm calling, I'm like... So either one of these people is off on this, and now I got to figure out who it is. <laughs> so, and then some. Sometimes that is where it goes. You know, uh, like caveat emptor uh, in journalism, it's let the reader decide. You put his view in. You put his view in, and say, okay, the truth is somewhere in between this. Hopefully. And uh, then you're just going to leave it at that because, you know, you cannot always be a 
super sleuth. Yeah, and unless unless maybe you're writing a book and then you've got lots of time to spend years researching it and then come up with what the actual situation is. But so in short sight of this is that in this particular text you have the katif or the written text in the part is shin yod lamed hey and it is um pointed in the masoretic uh vowels as shilo or shila shilo or shila depending on how the pronunciation is of that uh last vowel on the hay but on the margin note you have the she low with a vav on the end of it so is it a vav or is it a hay on the end of it so that is the particular question so one of the things that you see in the particular translations that have come along whether you're talking about the nsab the nsab or the new american standard is taking this or I should say the 1995 edition, took it as that Shiloh is a proper noun. It is referring to a, either a name. It's a name. It's a name, either of a place or a person. The NIV is taking this as the, you could say the margin reading of this is that it is Shiloh with a Vav on the end of it. So thus, it's until... Uh, he comes to whom it belongs because you've got that vav acting in the in hebrew grammar as like a uh, masculine uh, possessive on the end of it so that's where that rendering comes from and so the septuagint is thought to perhaps have read it as uh, shelo because that is it translated as until that which is reserved for him comes which taken to say okay this is the hebrew particle or uh, you could say um, preposition of sheen now sheen in ancient hebrew and even in modern hebrew today sheen is acts like a of saying of something so lo, they have the lamed and the and vav together is uh, to him or for him. So thus together you put those things together and you have it of for him. So belongs to him is where you get that together, and that is what's thought that that is what the uh, Septuagint was translating its rendering from. Okay, so all this. On and on and on, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so this is all to say where if you were to take this as a proper noun, that Shiloh is a proper noun, well, what is the possibility of it? And you actually see this in a lot of the medieval renderings and even in some Talmudic discussion of this, that Shiloh is a place name talking about the place Shiloh. Well, we know of things in Scripture, whether you're talking about in Joshua over there in 1 Samuel, or you're talking about also in Jeremiah chapter 7, where you had Shiloh being a place where the tabernacle came and where it sat as it came in and they entered the land and finally it ended up in Shiloh. And there the tabernacle was until 
later on when it was going to end up into Jerusalem. Well, remember in the descriptions of Israel's history, what happened with the tabernacle there in Shiloh? Shiloh was destroyed. And it's like, you're never going to go to Shiloh again. So a lot of commentators go, uh, uh-oh, until he comes to Shiloh. Well, wait a minute. Shiloh is supposed to be uh, plowed under. It's, it's not supposed to be anything anymore. So what on earth does that mean? So one of the things that you see is that Shiloh became a word, and especially you see in Jeremiah 7, that it became a symbol of divine judgment. So just like Sodom, Gomorrah, Shiloh. And Shiloh is like, just like the Lord did to Shiloh, he's going to do to Jerusalem if you continue down this route. So that was the prophet Yemeriyahu's warning, saying, hey, watch out. Did you see what happened to Shiloh, which had the tabernacle in it? So if he is going to do the abomination of desolation in Shiloh, what do you think he's going to do in Yerushalayim? Uh, yes, uh, Larry, go ahead, please. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure if I'm derailing that. Well. Oh, no, no, go ahead, please. But the, uh, it also could mean the kingdom, couldn't it? Mm. Because, because the king of the kingdom is also known as mm. by the name of the kingdom. Yes. You know, when you, they say the right to kings, you know. Indeed. Says, Henry says, I am England. Yes. Indeed. So thus, which goes down into the other option of it being a personal name for Shiloh. And thus you see it reflected both in the Targums and in the, uh, also in various Midrash, they talk about this, and in the Talmud about Shiloh being synonymous with the name of the Messiah, of that. Well, then what is this name? And thus is a possibility kind of like what you saw with the Septuagint, that it was related to a name of Shin Lamed He. And that is a word that is similar to Shalom. Because you have Shalem, Shalom, and other variants like it. It could be related to rest or peace or a combination of the two. So thus, you could have as a rendering of that until peace comes or until rest comes or until Sar Shalom comes, the prince of peace comes, as he's referred to there in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6 in the English. So, thus we get back to why this all matters. So we've gone through the whole and roundabout, around the way, this and that and the other. Uh, probably more than any of you probably ever want to know anything about uh, a linguistic discussion. But when you, when you see these little things in the margins of your Bible saying, it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this. So this is why those things are in your margins as alternative readings for this particular verse. But what we see is... You could say, well, it's all up for dispute. Who could ever know? Or this is a part of a thread that's going through the entire Bible. So either this is just a bunch of chaos that, that came out of uh, sun-scorched goat herders wandering around the desert, 
or if this is a message that came from heaven through faithful servants throughout time. So thus, then we're seeing a part of a thread. So thus, indeed, the one that is coming through Yehuda would be one who would bring rest, who would bring peace, who would be that king and would be the gathering of the peoples, to be that fulfillment of the promise that was given to Avraham, that yes, all of the world would be blessed. And not just like, oh, ring, I've been blessed. No, this blessing is the calling in, the assembling of the people to enter my rest. You might remember that. What is enter his rest? first symbolized by the land, but you see that's referred to. The Yeshua said, come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So that is in, indeed one of the nicknames of the Messiah. It's called Menachem in Hebrew, but it is rest, the comforter. So thus we've talked about before with John chapter 13 through 17 and how you have this says, I'm going to send you the comforter. Well, those who knew the prophets would also know that the Messiah himself is called the comforter. So the comforter is going to send the comforter because one must go, the other must come, and they must be filled up by the comforter of the Spirit. So the comforter can go on and go to the right hand of the Father, just as was foretold there in Daniel chapter 7. So that, as we close out the book of Bereshit or Genesis, we'll see that we're set up here for, for Shemot or Exodus, where we're going to now move from a situation where the king of Mitzrayim is having a gigantic parade up into Canaan to go bury the uh, progenitor of Israel to now one that does not know Yosef and is now enslaving the people and they are going to cry out. So they are going to cry out, hey, don't forget about us. Remember us. So just like you can see the recording back in Genesis 6 through 9 where you have the flood and it says in there that God remembered, remembered Noah in the ark. So we're going to see as we get into Shemot that God remembered what? The promise to Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yosef that what was going to happen. And indeed, Yosef would not be left there with his bones in Mitzrayim. No, indeed, they would be brought back up into the land, just like his fathers were long before. Any uh, last thoughts before we uh, close out here today? Uh, Alex, do you have a comment or a question? Back on the, the kings at the end of uh, David's life, yes. um, uh, a slight similarity to uh, Joseph's brothers, you're going to kill us because, you know, we were bad to you. Um, but I guess God expects us to deal justly right up through the end. And, yes. uh, and uh, the way David left it with Solomon, which is 
don't let that guy go down peacefully. You'll know what to do with him because yeah. you're wise. Mm. But, you know, he didn't tell him, kill him, kill him, kill him. You'll know what to do. But I guess so your wisdom and your godliness will be right there, right up to the end, whether you decide it's good to put the ax on him yeah. or mercifully let him go. Well, it, it's, always, it's always on those things about how are you being led to um, bring this final fulfillment? Because you, you see that what's going to happen that's foretold in the prophets and Revelation and the apostolic uh, writings and the ap- you know, apocalyptic passages that are in there, that there is going to be a reckoning that is going to come for the man of sin, the man of perdition, the one that has destroyed the earth and is enslaving the earth under this. Well, there is going to be a reckoning to that. But how is it that you go about doing it? Because some people have tried to take up the mantle themselves to make it happen, but has gone well. So, oh, uh, yes, I guess, uh, Christine, you got a comment or a question over here? Well, for me, it's always remembering I'm me. I'm the man of sin. Yes. I'm the man of lawlessness, right? So I have to take care of my house, me, and then I can start you know, maybe peeking and poking, but for the most part, I am that man of lawlessness. Because yeah. that's, that's where we start as we look forward to Passover season, that we were all there in our own Mitzrayim, our own house of bondage, until we are delivered, until we cry out for deliverance. Don't leave us here. Remember us. Uh, yes, Larry, go ahead, please. One other time when you were talking about that, <clears throat> When we brought it down to it, it was merciful. Yes. Remember the scriptures, this is a fearsome thing to fall into the hands yes. of the living God. Yes. Right? Yes. Then so, Hebrews chapter 10, right. And I was thinking about that archaeological thing. That was one of the things that they said was something they had record of this huge contingent of Egyptians coming mm. in and the, and the, and the uh, Canaanians, or however we call them, Canaanites, were really worried about what are these guys up to? That would get your attention, especially when the uh, when the one of the two superpowers of the time period shows up, you know, and uh, the the that land was a going back and forth between the Hittite and the Egyptian empires, back and forth and back and forth. So yeah, to have a large contingent of Egyptians show up, that would that would get your attention in a similar way when you had. Uh, at the time of Messiah, where you have this large contingent of people likely from Parthia show up in Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. (laughs) That would get your attention if you thought you were the king of the Jews. And also for the Roman contingent, because um, Rome got their hat handed to them by Parthia in an earlier war leading up to that time period. So for Parthians to show up with a contingent, that would get also Rome's attention and also, of course, Herod's attention as well. So, yeah, be, be careful when the kingdom of God is at, at work because uh, your so-called strongholds you think are in place um, may not be so strong. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel. Dot info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel dot info.